Welcome to Season 5 of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer, I've worked in the animal healthcare industry, and prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician so they can share their own directions and journeys, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. One last thing, thank you Zoetis. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support this incredible profession. Today we get to chat with Shaylin St. Ange Cole. Such a beautiful name, my goodness, and you're a beautiful person and we just started talking. Registered veterinary technician and instructor at Foothill College in Los Altos Hills, California. Thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. We were chatting a little bit before the show and I could just tell like you glow, you sparkle and I just love it. I can't wait. You know, and it's so funny, Shaylin, because each time I think we've had the best guest on the podcast, I'm mistaken because everybody has these incredible stories to tell about their journeys. But when I did my research for you for the show, I thought, whoa. <laughs> we have to hear your story. So uh, so thank you so much for just taking the time to sit down with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Well, I think we should start at the beginning. Um, there's, a, there's a statement that we all know, which is animals don't judge. And I'm curious <laughs> to know, what did you, what did that mean to you as a child? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up um, both in the East Coast and on the West Coast, um, I was a, a large child. I was definitely overweight. And because of that, I didn't have a lot of friends. And so I really, like most of the people that enter into this field, I found a lot of that um, acceptance through animals and stuff. And um, I was like many of people in the field would get in trouble for bringing animals home and collecting animals and um, all types of things like that. Uh, my mom is severely allergic to cats and I got in trouble because I hit a kitten in my dresser drawer once. Um, but it was just that kind of just that acceptance that it doesn't matter what you look like. If you give me food and give me hugs and snuggles, then you're okay with me. Yeah. Because they, they just love you unconditionally. Mm -hmm. You were a phenomenal student too. But you turned down a full scholarship to San Francisco State to study chemistry and biology because there was someone very special in your life, right? So he, my son's father, my husband, uh, technically, um, I, yeah, I had a full scholarship to San Francisco State. I was going to be a medical examiner um, and it became really scary. Like I had finally found someone who kind of accepted me. And so I like latched onto that. Um, and so it was terrifying thinking of like not being with him. And so, yeah, I just didn't go. Um, and then that summer, the fall, the summer following high school is when I had my son. Uh, so I was 19 years old you know, I graduated from high school. I hadn't started college. I had absolutely no idea how I was going to 
care for this child uh, and kind of just like, well, something will happen. You know, that stupid teenage, not worried about the future kind of thing. Um, And then I saw one of those paid commercials. At that point, it was Western Career College for vet techs. And it was like, well, I've always loved animals. I love science and math. So I'll go ahead and get started. And in, you know, by the time I started school, my son was six months old. Uh, and then, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of a stubborn person. Like once I start something, I tend to finish it. So it's like, all right, we're just going to finish this. We're going to be a, you know, a young mom and with a young kid and balancing school and taking care of him. And luckily, very, very luckily for me, I still had the support of my family so that I didn't have to work as well. Um, but then as soon as I graduated, it was working full time to try and care for my child and support him. Yeah, that must have been very difficult, even with the support of your family, right? It was definitely very difficult. I I remember, you know, he had a, a handful of health issues. He has horrible asthma and allergies. He ended up um, having a couple seizures early on and um, having to be rushed to the emergency room. And, you know, like I just remember calling calling the clinic and I can't come to work because my son is in the hospital or, you know, I was very lucky a few times he was really sick and they were super short staffed and they're like, just bring him. Like, we're going to break all the rules, bring him to clinic. Um, and I set him up in a cage in, <laughs> in the back with some books and some snacks. And, you know, he just hung out in a big dog kennel while I worked. So, you know, it's 20 some odd years ago. You just, you just make it work. You just keep trucking and making it work so that, you know, you can survive. And I think one of the, you know, I tell my students all the time, I am, I feel like I'm a much better tech because I am a mom and I'm a much better mom because I was a tech. Um, And both of those go with being a teacher because um, I had those experiences. Like I've had so many students that had, young or underage children and really struggled about, you know, wanting to balance study time and be with them. And, you know, through the years, I've been teaching for over 10 years. So my son will be 21 in June. Um, (laughs) So for those 10 years, you know, having students and sometimes he would, you know, either be coming with me sitting in the lobby or picking me up when he became older. And so having them come out and meet him. And so I'd ask them, I was like, Hey, you know, do you remember when you were two years old, when you had to hang out with Meme and Pepe because I was working or, you know, do you remember me not being home all the time because I have to work? And he's like, no, not really. It's like, okay, well, do you remember us going to Disneyland? And he's like, yeah. And what about, you know, we're able to buy the house? And he's like, yeah. And it's like all of those times when he was younger, he doesn't remember all of that, but he remembers the benefit I got from working and from becoming an RVT and stuff like that. And so that's what I really encourage my students to focus on is, you know, it's a two-year program. It's a, you're, you know, you're giving up a little bit for these two years to really change the trajectory of your life and your family's lives. 
Well, it's such an investment in yourself. Those two years. I mean, and the dividend is enormous for Mm -hmm. for those two years. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. I'm curious. I love how you said that um, a mom helped you be a better tech and being a tech helped you be a better mom. And we talked about that, you know, in both cases, you're a teacher. Is there any, are there other parts of it too? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I learned, you know, when you have like a, a teenager, you have like that tween initially you're like, Oh, they're, they're doing this stuff because they're, you know, trying to get on my nerves or they're doing, you know, it's like all this personal stuff. And then you realize, no, like that's that, like, you know, I would see this amazingly brilliant young man who just could not for the life of him put the pieces together. And it's not because he's stupid. It's just because his brain is recalculating. And so seeing that and watch him go through that, it made it a lot easier when I saw my students doing very similar things, whether it was struggling with studying or not turning in assignments or not calling and letting us know that they're going to be late. It was like, okay, you're not doing this because you're being mean to me. You're not doing this because you're a butt. Like, okay, I can have a little bit more patience. And um, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned with both of them is having my son has made me far more patient with my students and having my students has made me far more patient with my son. Um, And it also helps me relate. Like I have legit had the exact same conversation two days in a row, one being with my student and one being with my son. And they're both like, okay, now why didn't you do this? Well, I don't know. I forgot. Okay, let's go ahead. Let's make a list of all the things you need to do. You know, so it really has allowed me to do that. I think probably um, one of my greatest assets, I think, um, as a teacher, uh, as a mom, and as a tech is just my patience. Like I have an insane (laughs) ability just to be like, it's going to be fine. Like in the end, this test doesn't matter. This homework assignment doesn't matter. In the end, you're going to be awesome. Just keep working at it. Learn what you need to learn uh, and move forward. And you've said that teaching at Carrington College in San Leandro, you're now teaching at Foothill College, has made you come alive. I liked being a tech I love the science. I love the animals. Um, But especially in like general practice, it tends to get somewhat mundane. Uh, And then when I got to teaching, it's like you get to see the students put connections together. Um, We actually had one. So our students currently, they have finals the next two weeks. So um, we call it supplemental, but it's basically like tutoring. Um, So I've been doing tutoring nonstop. I was like two minutes before I got on here, I was finishing up with a group and I have a long list. Um, And so we were talking with some students about um, overhydration and why you could start to see that in respiratory issues. And then talking about left side versus right side heart failure and stuff. And all of a sudden, one student goes, oh my gosh, 
I get it. I get it. And it's like that, that is what is so, so exciting when they find, like you can see it in their faces. Um, It's also like not just academic, but hands-on. It's that moment when they finally palpate that vein and you can see their whole face light up. They're like, oh, that's it. I like, yeah, I, I get it. I know what you've been saying. Um, And with teaching Every day is like that. Every single day you have students that put connections together and it's wonderful because it's not just, you know, like one of the things that I think of when attack is like in that moment, I'm making a change for that one animal and for that one animal's family. And, you know, maybe that animal has a child and that child is going to be awesome to animals further down the road. But with students, it's like, I'm making a difference for what this one student and that one student is going to make a difference for thousands of animals lives. And so it's like taking the best of being a tech and expanding on it like a thousand fold and just watching and hearing their stories. And, you know, my favorite, and I tell them all the time, I think I actually just told the first years um, this week, I love showing them when they're student, when they're seniors, some of the tests that they took like very, very early on in their career, tests that they were struggling. It was so hard for them. And they look at it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. Oh my God. Oh, I, I can't believe I was that stupid. Oh my gosh. And it's like, no, like that's how far you've come. Right. You've grown so much that now this stuff that was very, very difficult seems like everyday stuff stuff that I've been doing for my entire life. So it's just, it's really, really awesome seeing that. Yeah. And talking about growing, I want to go back to um, your career path in that you had said that becoming a veterinarian was not an option because you had never seen anyone who looked like you in the veterinary field. And you talked about that you saw the ad on TV and you found the courage to become a veterinary technician. Tell us more about that. I think like most, uh, it's definitely becoming less and less common, but like most techs um, my age who are people of color, it, it just wasn't, you know, like we had taken our dogs to the vets and it was, you know, usually a white male vet and white female techs or nurses. Like, I don't even remember, like, I didn't even know what a technician was. So it was just these, you know white women at the front desk and white women that would come get the animal and bring it back. Um, So it was not, it wasn't until I was already in the field a couple years in um, where it was like, Oh yeah. Like I could have become a veterinarian. Um, It wasn't, I'm trying to think back actually I did not work with my first vet of color until may I'd say maybe four or five years ago. Um, and you know, I, I would play this game. It's like I, you know, I start at a clinic or I do my internship at a clinic, and it's like, okay, you know. Let's see if there's any other people of color. And it's like, mm, 
nope, or maybe one. And then it was like, okay, let's see if there's any other African-American people on staff, period. And it's like, nope. And it's like, okay, let's see if there's any, you know, first na- uh, first um, nations or indigenous. And it's like, nope. So it was always this, like, me being the only one for the vast majority of my career. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I am very proud about at um, Foothill is every outreach opportunity that I'm given an opportunity, I go to. Um, and I, I bring Barnaby. He's my little Jack Russell <laughs> dachshund mix who is, he's the best ambassador. He is so unbelievably patient and we go wherever and kids get to pet him and pick him up and love him. And it's just like, yeah, like you could be me, you could be better than me. So just, you know, showing them that it is possible that they can be more than what they thought they could be. Yeah. And seeing you is proof that if they want to do that, you're living proof of it happening which you didn't have the opportunity to have. You were brave enough to go, I'm going to do this. But as you said, for kids or, or peers to see you and go, wait a minute, if she can do it, I can do it. Like how, how empowering that is. Yeah, absolutely. The first practice you worked at was <laughs> in the Bay Area, and, I, and that was really tough, right? It it was, you know, it, it's one of those where um, I had a co-teacher who was like, you're really like, you're a teacher, like through and through. So what I tell people is um, it was challenging and it taught me a lot of lessons that I share today. Like what? A lot of, ex- <laughs> like um, knowing your worth and knowing how much you're willing to take. Um, when I first started, I was, I had zero confidence in my self-worth, um, both as a tech and as just a person in general. Um, I had really poor self-esteem. And so a lot, I took a lot of crap. Um, the vast majority of it had to do with race. I did not always know how to find my voice and how to speak up. Um, And I think part of that was, you know, here I am, like really a a young kid of color, uh, you know, for all intent and purposes, a single mom trying to raise my kid. And I was making $15 an hour back in the early 2000s. Like, oh my, like that's so much money. And you know, not wanting, not recognizing that techs were so valuable that I could have absolutely gone somewhere else and not only made that much, but made that, made more. And so it was this fear that if I speak up, if I say something, I'm good, I'm going to get fired. I'm not going to be able to keep supporting my child. Um, and so I did end up taking a lot. And it was also like, how do you, how do you tell the vet who's been the vet for years and years that is a partial owner of the clinic that, you know, some of the, a lot of the stuff that he says is very uncomfortable. Like you just don't, that's not something that we were taught how to do. Um, and it's one of the things that 
I do on a regular basis now is we have talks with the students about, you know, how many, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, how many of you guys have had either um, situations where racism raised its head or sexism or something like that? And so we talk about it and what did they do and what can they do and how can they, how can they speak up and how can they find their voice? Um, and so it's like, I, I've, I find it very similar to, you know, like we still have st- people that are getting paid less than $15 an hour 20 years later. And so I see it as the same thing. Like this crap is going to stay the same unless we speak up. And if I can encourage more and more of my students to say, you know what, I'm not going to take that from you. You do not have the right to talk to me like that. Then it's going to cause more and more people to be like, you know what, I need to stop or HR is going to come or, you know, something like that. Right. And it also sounds like that confidence, even at the practice in the Bay Area, because then you went to the uh, municipal shelter, right? And that was Mm -hmm. tough too, right? It It was this weird wonderfulness and toughness. Um, The vet that I worked at in the shelter was amazing. She was the first veterinarian that I had worked at that actually saw me as a partner, like saw the value that I had um, and that could bring it to our working relationship. And so we had a very close relationship and she supported, you know, she came to my wedding. She supported me in so many different areas um, because it was this person that, you know, she was in the tech field, the first person that I recognized that truly believed in me and truly believed that I had good skills and I could, you know, I wasn't just somebody to restrain or, you know, just monitor anesthesia or something like that. Right. Um, So that was awesome. And then you have, um, you know, above that, you have the bureaucracy and the toxic nature of situations. Um, And that one, I had a meeting with the um, deputy director or the director, I can't remember at this point, um, and went through all of the challenges that I was having. And she told me, you know what? There are going to be times where you're in a tough situation and you have to decide how much you want to take. And it's like, yeah, that's not what you're supposed to say. What you're supposed to say is, I'm really sorry that you're going through this and this is not okay. And let's figure out how we can change it. And so it was after that conversation where I, I went to the vet and I said, you know what, I, I love working with you, but I cannot continue to work here. And so I put in my notice. Um, and that's that's kind of the, those are the beginning in, institu- um, situations in which I was able to recognize like, no, forget you guys. Like I have a lot to bring to the table and I don't need to just sit there and take it. Like I deserve to be treated fairly and properly and like part of the team. Um, and I'm not going to accept any less. And it sounds like that was an aha moment for you. It ignited you to be like, I had enough. Like, it sounds like it was building and building, meaning your confidence was better and getting better and stronger. And that was like the tipping point. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that was, you know, 
the fire that said, I had enough. Yep. You know, for someone who's listening, who's like, how did she find that strength? What would you say? I think it's really going to depend on two things. It's going to depend on you and it's going to depend on who you have around you. One of the things, especially for a lot of people of color, especially in an education situation, they don't have a lot of people that believe in them or that say that they believe in them. And so what I find is if you aren't if you aren't surrounded by people that say, yes, I believe in you, you're awesome, you're wonderful, you can do it, then you really solely have to rely on yourself. And then it just takes some maturity and like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't want to continue to be this miserable. And not only that, but you have to have that, you have to be able to see that open door. Like just being fed up and miserable isn't enough. You know, the first clinic, the only reason I was able to say that's it, I'm done is because I found the municipal shelter in which I was making $18 an hour. So you have to be able to have those resources to say, you know what, I'm done and I don't need to stay here anymore. I can go somewhere else. I can be something else somewhere else. Yeah. And it sounds like there's two parts to it. As you said, I'm done, but you need the second part, the and, and I see the open door. You know, what has allowed you to finally feel comfortable and confident in yourself and also to push for the things you want for you or your students? When, as we were, you know, talking about earlier, when in the past you didn't have the confidence to do so. I'm one of those individuals. And I think part of it is just because my students are very similar to my son's age. Um, I fight for my students way harder than I ever fought for myself. Like I, I am one of those where it's like, nope, like I'm going to push you and not like you need to do this. You need to do that. It's like, okay, come on, come talk to me. Like when I was actually talking to one of my co-teachers and I will needle them. I'll, I'll call them slackers. I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? Slacker? What's up? Slacker? Knowing that. And they all know, like, it's a very joking thing. I'm like, all right, you guys better do this. or I'm going to kick your butts, you know, very joking kind of thing. And I love, absolutely love it. Love, love, love. When my students build up enough courage to give it to me back. Like I've had a couple students who very quiet, they're the very quiet ones. And it's like, what are you doing slacker? And they're like, nothing. What are you doing slacker? And it's like, yes, finally. Uh, And the way, the reason I do that is I feel like if I can give you that confidence to know that you can speak up and you can say what you want and you're not going to get beat down, then it's going to be so much easier when it's in a clinic setting or when you're talking about to a supervisor or to a doctor or to a tech. And so it's a lot of this like, come on, you can do it. I know you can do it. I have faith in you. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Um, and I just love it. It's, it's one of my favorite things in the entire world is just to see them get all sassy with me. It's my heart <laughs> Well, and you said it's practice because if they get really comfortable with you, when they go out into outside of your world, it's going to be a lot easier to stand up for themselves. 
because yeah. you've, you've wired it in their brains. Absolutely. To do it. And, and they know, like I have students who have, you know, we have conversations at least a couple times a month where it's like, I'm not getting paid or I'm getting paid this, or I'm having a difficult situation or something like that. And we talk about it and it's like, okay, here are a handful of different things that you can do. And then it always ends, you know, I'm going to bug you about it next week. You know, I'm going to ask you about it next week. And it's not just like, I'm giving them resources and outs, but also the accountability that I'm going to be checking up on you. It's not like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you not better yourself because you're scared. Like that's not an option. The option is even if it's a little thing, even if it's saying, asking, you know, maybe I'm not making a lot of money, but asking the clinic to pay for your licensures. Like, even if it's something little, like I want you to do something as much as you can to build that up. Yeah. You had said something earlier about that you fight for your students harder than you fight for yourself. Mm -hmm. What's behind that? Well, part of it is I turned 40 last year. I'm, I know what I'm willing to take and what I do differently now is this is me. Like I present myself as me. Like, yes, there are definitely edges that need to be rounded. Um, (laughs) but I've, I spent a lot of time hating myself. Like, and there are absolutely still times that I'm like, you're stupid, you're worthless, you're this, you're that. Um, but the vast majority of the time, it's like, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay with myself. I, I feel like you have it together. And so I don't, I don't need to fight so much because I, I don't give, this is what I'm going to take. If you can't give me this, then we're done. We're not, I'm, I'm not continuing to have this relationship. And my students don't have that. They don't have the security of 20 plus years in working in the field. They don't have the security of the education in the background. And so they need to have support, you know, and I ask them all the time, you know, what's the difference between helping and supporting? And a lot of them are like, I don't know. And it's like, okay, well, if I help you up, I'm doing the heavy lifting. I'm picking you up off the ground. If I'm supporting you, I'm going to let you fall a little bit, but I'm going to be there so that you don't go, you know, butt first on the ground. And so that's what I really focus on is I want to be there to support my patient, my students. I want to be there to catch them if they need to fall and then kind of give them that little kick in the butt if they need to get back on track. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said about having the security of 20 plus years, because I wanted to know, looking back at your life so far, what do you wish you knew when you started? I wish I knew that techs were very valuable, that I didn't have to settle. I also wish that I had known that uncomfortability breeds growth. I think part of the reason that first clinic is even though it was difficult, you know, the comments were very difficult at times, there was a lot of people that I got comfortable with. And so being comfortable with them made it easier to take some of the the crap. 
Um, and so it's like, you're going to grow so much more when you're uncomfortable. And so I, I wish that I had known those things. I wish that I had kept going to school. You know, it wasn't, I got my bachelor's degree when I was 38 years old. You know, I went from, how do you go from associates at 19 to bachelor's at 38? You know, so I'd wish I had done that. I wish that I had tried to go to vet school. I, you know, now looking back, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't go to vet school <laughs> because that would have, that would have taken me in a complete, like, I don't know if I would have been a teacher if I had gone to vet school. Um, and I love, I love what I do, but it's like, I wish I hadn't let everything that I thought society was telling me about myself get in the way of my potential. I'm smiling because I, I don't think you could say it any better than that, Shaylin. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for our listeners who are either students or just starting out in their careers as a veterinarian or a technician? Just take some time for yourself because no matter what society has told any of us, no matter what we believe when it comes to our human-to-human -human interactions, we are all worthy of time, of peace. Uh, and so I tell the students all the time, you're, you know, the clinic that you're working at, you may love your coworkers, you may love the owner, but if it came down to it, they would replace you in a heartbeat. So don't be if nobody else is going to be your number one, you need to be your number one and always find some way to put yourself above everything else so that you can give yourself that time that you deserve. Yeah. And obviously your love of teaching is enormous. <laughs> it doesn't even fit in this room I'm sitting in right now. It's incredible. What makes your heart sing in your spare time? Like I said, I, I I'm better better than with my students and myself. Um, actually, what makes my heart sing is flame work, doing glass work. Um, wow. I love it. It is basically now a, a detriment of COVID um, oxygen. I need oxygen for my torch. And so it's in short supply, rightfully so. So I have not been able to do it as much, but definitely going outside and my one of my favorite things is me and my son we just go driving and we've done it we're like we'll go driving for three hours listening to music talking and stuff so from day one he has been what makes my heart sing and what brings me peace and you know it's amazing having a 21 year old who like you're his mom and he doesn't think you're a weird devil person <laughs> like, thanks mom thanks mom love you mom so yeah, hanging out with him. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Well, we're out of time, but I just want to thank you, Shaylin, for being vulnerable and sharing your story with us today. I'm I'm just grateful and I'm I feel really honored that we got to talk and that you were a straight shooter. I really appreciate it and I'm sure our listeners really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was my pleasure. This wraps up another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals 
for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit BetVance at www.betvance.com and check out Zoetis Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills, and reputation management. BetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. We would love to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this is Scrub Chat.